the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, you know, last week, uh, I loved the service last week. I thought it brought community into the house of God. If you, you forget what we talked about last week or you weren't here, um, we talked, the service was entitled what I call it, under my wing. And we talked about the Apostle Paul, how busy of a man he was, how much major responsibility he had, how on focus he was to do the things of God, but yet somewhere along the way, he made time to bring people under his wings and to disciple young men and turn them into warriors for Christ, like young Timothy and so forth. And so we brought the youth in, and we got a good look at them, and gawked at them a while, and got them to tell us who they were. And because uh, we don't ever want to forget that there's church going on back there too. You know, we get we can get one track minded. Oh, church is up here, and they're just watching the kids back there. But that's not true. I've been back there. I was back there for years, and I can tell you the anointing is strong back there because we care about the youth. We care about the children. And so last week we talked about the youth, and I thought it would be strange if we left out the children. So tonight we're going to talk about the children. And you might be saying, well, you know, what am I going to get out of this? You know, I know about the children. Well, all of us deal with children at some point in our life, have dealt with children, will deal with children. If you had your own children, you probably soon have grandchildren. If you had grandchildren, maybe one day you have great-grandchildren. So so I'm like, no, I ain't. (laughs) Just hang around long enough. It just happens like that. They multiply. And and so there's children all around us. There's children here at the church. If you don't have any children, don't expect to have any children or whatever, you have availability to, to speak into the lives of some children and make a difference in some children's lives. And many of you have a lot of children. Many of you are wonderful parents. And it's impressive the things that you already do. So we're just going to call tonight Under My Wing Part 2. Turn to Mark chapter 10. And I've got the communion table out again tonight. We're going to take communion with the children tonight. I don't know how many's here, but we'll find out. I hope they're all back there. All right, we're going to start in Mark chapter 10, verse 13. It said, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus. Hallelujah, we could stop right there. I mean, that's the crust of this message right there. One day some people brought their children to Jesus. (laughs) So that he could touch them and bless them. But the disciples... See, back then, children were second-class citizens. They didn't think of them. Y'all be quiet. Y'all don't speak unless spoken to. Y'all remember back when I was growing up, at the Thanksgiving table, the kids had their own table, and they didn't eat until after the adults ate. 
Now that's turned all the way around. Now the children eat at the adult table and they eat first and the rest of us sit around in the corner somewhere. But hey, whatever. But back then, the disciples scolded the parents for bothering Jesus. In other words, these, these children ain't worth the time of the master. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry. Did you know Jesus got angry? Jesus, not very often. And we know he couldn't get angry unless it was a righteous anger because everything he did was righteous. But it says because they were keeping the children away from him, Jesus was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms. I don't know how many of them it was, but he, he placed his hands on their head and he blessed them. Jesus loves the little children. Y'all know that song? Jesus tolerates the little children, hides them way back in the church. Red and yellow, precious, uh, red and yellow, black and white. They're okay in his sight, you know. No, Jesus loves the little children. They're not second-class citizens by any stretch of the imagination. They're, they're people. They're his children, just like the oldest child we got in here tonight. We're all his children. And, and they're precious in his sight. And I want you to know at the Passion Church, your children are precious in our sight. All the children are precious in our sight. You know, just because they're small don't mean they have miniature little feelings or miniature anything other than their, their size. They, they have the same Holy Spirit that we do. They, they have access to the same Holy Spirit that we do, and, and they have the emotions like we do, maybe a little not as sophisticated, but they have nonetheless emotions, and they have fears and anxiety and all these things. And back when I used to teach them, you'd be surprised. Uh, I'm not teaching a whole lot above in here what I taught in there as far as above their heads, you think? I, I, I pretty much taught them big lessons. And because I believe they could handle it, I would, I would push them to the limit of what they were able to handle, and they can handle it. At one point, I felt like, you know, years ago when I was back there, I felt like there were more biblically literate people in children's church than there were in the church. I mean, they could answer more questions about the Bible because they were getting a good dose of it, and they can handle it, and they want to handle it. They don't want to be treated like, you know, like they can't handle it. And what I liked about them is they believed the things about the Bible more fervently than some of the people in adult service. Because we've been jaded and all oh, this, oh, this is old hat to us, but it, it hits fresh to them and they want to know. Children have a pure, unassuming type of faith that we would all do well to learn from. And that's what Jesus was saying. Man, unless you, unless you approach your faith like these little children, you might not even get it at all. You might not understand what it's all about. So it would be 
crazy for us to have disdain for children. You know, some people are like, I don't like children. I, like, I used to like my own children, but I don't like any other children. You know, they get on my nerves. I don't like them. But, you, you know, that's not God's way. It's hard to say you love God but hate the little children. <laughs> Those two things just don't go in the same sentence. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 10, he said, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. He said, listen up, don't despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Now that is something to think about. I mean, we just roll past these scriptures like he's just saying that for effect. But I don't think Jesus said a lot of things for, you know, just for effect. I don't think he would say that there's angel. Our children's guardian angels ever have the presence of God. They're, they're sitting in the presence of God. God could be surrounded by anybody he wants, but he chooses to have his little children's angels surrounding him. So if one of us disdains his ch- children or does something they should, they're going to tell on you. <laughs> God, somebody's trying to get my little kid over here. We better, we better watch it. God watches over the children. He's got a special affection for them. In eight, uh, Matthew 18, verse 5, it says, And anyone who welcomes a child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. He takes them personally, man. If you welcome a little child, it's like welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, mm-mm-mm-mm. It would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. That means you're going under and you ain't coming back up. It'd be better if you were never even born, I think it says in, in one scripture, than you to cause one of these little ones to sin. Better be careful. I mean, some of us think, we look back and how we raised our children before we knew Jesus. Man, I may have done that. Or, well, thank goodness for forgiveness. We get those kind of things under the blood. Maybe we used to smoke doobies with our kids growing up or something before we knew. You know, there's a lot of things that, that people do today in, in this society. It's teaching little ones to sin. But get that under the blood and don't go any further with that, okay? But on the flip side, there's no better way to serve God than to serve His little children. If he's so affectionate about him and, and so caring and watches over him like such a hawk, if you do something wrong, he's still watching over him like a hawk when you do something right. And when you take a special interest in one of them, you're taking a special interest in him. He said, what do you ever you do to the least of these? You're doing it to me. So that ought to radically change the way we see these little boogers. You know what I'm saying? We are to begin to love what Jesus loves. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalms 127. This may not catch any of you guys off guard. Most of you are veteran Christians. But it's always good to remind ourselves of the things we may have let slip. Psalms 127, verse 4. The psalmist says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. 
Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Like an arrow, you pull out of a quiver. In the hand of a warrior. Now, what are, what are children in the hand of a wimpy, weakling? I don't know. Are they still like arrows? Because see, happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Today on the news, today on, in the media, today in, on our TV shows, it's, it's a funny joke that if you've got a lot of kids or whatever, you're wore out and, and, and it's, it's a curse instead of a blessing. And the way we raise our children a lot of times, we spoil our children, they become a curse instead of a blessing. Because we let them run the house. We let them eat first. We let them decide what we're going to eat. We let them cook if they want to. I mean, we let the kids have the run of the house. But it wasn't meant to be that. We're supposed to be warriors. And children are supposed to be taught, raised up, trained in the way that they should go so that when they're older, they got a backbone like an arrow. And so that they can be aimed and shot in the direction of God's plan for their life. And so that's what we're supposed to do as parents, as grandparents. We're to, to recognize that God wants us to propel them into their, the future that God has for them. And as, as just members of the Passion Church, you know, if you're on the leadership team or something, we're thinking about all the time, how can we bless our children? What can we do? Our goals are, you know, to make children's church more fun and exciting, more biblically accurate, make God more real to them. You know, the things that, that we want to do, our responsibility as parents and as a church is to aim these arrows towards God's purpose for their life. And one of the main ways that we do this is the same way we do it for ourselves as we teach them the scriptures at an early age. And like I said, you would be surprised how they're able to handle it. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15, he said, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. You know, the devil would like us to wait. The devil would like to say, you know, they're not going to understand that. They're not going to get it. They're too young for that. Wait till they become young adults and then teach them. Yeah. You know what young adults become if they have no home training and no teaching in the Word of God? They become too late sometimes, don't they? We got to catch them while they're young. You've been taught in the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from trusting Christ Jesus. You know, even, uh, what do you call it? Statistics tell us that if somebody's not born again by the time they're 18 years old, their chances of ever accepting Christ go way down, dr- dramatically down. From like, I don't know, I, you know, they say 87.3% of all statistics are made up anyway. And so I don't know, I could make something up. But I'm talking significantly down. The chance of reaching somebody for Christ after they're 18. we got to reach them while they're young. You can look and see what the devil's doing. You know, the devil's wise as a serpent. Sometimes Christians are as dumb as a rock. 
The devil is training our children these days, if you hadn't noticed. He's taking God out of our schools, and he's rewriting history, teaching them whatever he wants to teach them. And we're just saying, okay, well, that's what they do these days. And we send them along, put them on the bus, and give them a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But we got to catch them early. And the scriptures is what gives them the wisdom to receive the salvation. See, they got to be saved, just like us. And they're growing up in an increasingly scary world. Don't you feel for them? I mean, when I was growing up, I watched wrestling on Saturday morning one time, and I went and hid under my bed. It scared me to see people beating on each other like that. That was traumatic for me. But think what our children see today on 167 channels coming out of your direct TV. <laughs> There's no telling what our children see today. And they are just little bitty innocent kids, and they're not big enough to protect themselves. What must come in the fear and the anxiety that must enter their hearts when they think about this mean, cold, vicious world where even the, the smart politicians, so to speak, even the people that's in charge can't get along. No civility anywhere. And it's just as real, that fear and anxiety and those things in their mind to their little hearts. It's just as real to them as it is to you. And you know the comfort that the Scriptures bring to you. I mean, if, if you're here tonight, you probably know that if you're dealing with depression or something, you're going to go home and you're going to find some scriptures on depression and you're going to quote something and, you're, and it's going to bring soothing to your heart. It's going to put God into your business in that area. They need the whole armor of God that we put on in Ephesians chapter 6, just like we do. Having done all to stand, standing therefore against the wiles of the devil. They need the word of God to proclaim into their generation. They need the word of God so that they can change their schools and help some, some of these other kids that don't, don't have believing parents. They need the same assurance that Scripture gives us. They don't know everything that we know, but they feel everything that we feel. They hadn't been through everything. Sometimes I'm not saying treat them like adults. I'm not saying... Well, what's wrong with you, kid? You don't know how to do math? Well, he's just four. <laughs> you know, one of my problems raising my children was, Angie always had to tell me, they hadn't lived for 40, 50 years, <laughs> 35, wherever age I was. They hadn't lived as long as you. They don't know everything you know. I just expected them they ought to know. That's common sense. But I just learned it last week, you know. <laughs> the kids don't know what we know. And if we're going to teach them anything, we've got to teach them a foundation on God's Word so that everything else will make sense. Wouldn't you have loved to have that as a kid? Of course you would. The same truth that sets us free sets them free. So the Word of God is important. We can't just pawn them off on our public schools or to some doctor who will give them some kind of medication. Medication doesn't take the place of God's peace. Medication doesn't take the place of God's assurance or God's power or God's joy 
These are the things that sustain Christians. And our little kids are feeling the weight of this world right now. Some of them are still ignorantly bliss. And that's good. But there's going to come a day really soon that they're going to have to face some things. I, I know, I hear stories about our children being bullied at school and, and seeing fights and all these things everywhere they go. If the Christians don't stand up, we have, I mean, I'm just coming off my head now, we, we have an opportunity here. We have a window of opportunity to bring prayer back to the schools. We have a window of opportunity to bring decency back to our nation if we will stand up and proclaim righteousness. Teach our children again the Word of God. The devil has, has corrupted several generations now. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen. God tells us, so commit yourselves wholeheartedly to the words of mine. To the scriptures, to the words of mine. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Teach them to your children. There it is. Talk about them when you are at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Write them on the doorpost of your house, on your gates. So long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors. See, I'm about flourishing. I want to be blessed. I want my children to be blessed. We've got to teach the Word of God. It has to be first place in our house. Not just when we come to church. Don't just trust the Sunday school teachers. Write it on your doorpost. Get little. You already come to my house. Angie's got little stickers and post-it notes everywhere. Whatever our child is going through, when they get up in the morning, right in front of their toothbrush is going to be a saying. God has not given me the spirit of fear, but the power of love and sound mind or something. You know, there's going to be something. Whatever they're dealing with. She's, she's planting the word of God. She's posting it on our doorpost. The devil wants us to think that they're not old enough to understand, but Matthew 21, 15 says the leading priest and the teachers of religious law saw that these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. See, even the little children were in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. How did they know that Jesus was the son of David? You'll be surprised what little kids know. But you see, the religious people want you to think that the kids don't understand, don't spend your time with them. And the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these little children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? <laughs> these are the teachers of religious law. And Jesus is asking them, the little kids know I'm the son of David. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Oh, we're taking it to another level. Down to the infants. The infants can give God praise. That's why we bring all the children with us on a Sunday morning worship. 
So they might teach us a thing or two. <laughs> they might learn a thing or two from us, but we might learn a thing or two from them. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 3. How many remember Samuel? He's, isn't he the one that anointed King David eventually? All right, we're going to start in verse 1. 1 Samuel 3, 1. Now what has happened here is, is Samuel's mama, she couldn't have a baby, so she cried out to God, and God gave her a baby. She said, if you give me a baby, I'll dedicate my, my baby to the temple. In other words, I'm going to let him live at the temple with the high priest, and he can serve the high priest and do whatever you want to with him. So God gave her a child, Samuel, and now Samuel is a young boy living in the temple, God's temple, where the Holy of Holies was and all that, and the high priest dwelt, and they, they had little apartments inside the, the temple gates near the Holy of Holies. And meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now, in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare, and the visions were quite uncommon. God wasn't speaking much. And I think you'll find out why as we keep going on. One night, Eli, that's the high priest, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God was yet, not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. The ark of God was the little box where symbolized God's presence, where God would meet with, with the high priest, with the cherubim over the top and his presence would sit on the, the mercy seat and that's where the blood of Jesus was was placed in the temple which is in heaven which cleanses us of our sins so much to say about the ark of God and suddenly the Lord cried out Samuel Samuel says yes what is it he got up and he ran to Eli he thought Eli said it he said, here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Eli's in there trying to sleep. And the little kid coming in there must have had a nightmare. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. And again, Samuel got up and he went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son. Eli said, go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time. And once more, Samuel got up and went to Eli. And this time he's like, here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling. Well, do you think Eli finally realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy? So he said, Samuel, go lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. But I bet he didn't go back to bed, if you know what I'm saying. He's expecting God's fixing to call you. And the Lord came and called as before. This time he says it twice. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God. He had 
well, what is his son's name? Phineas and Hopney or something. I can't remember their names. He had some wild childs. They were serving as priests in the house of God, and they were doing all kind of evil. They were uh, taking bribes from the people's sexual stuff, a whole lot of things going on in the house of God. And so God's finally getting fed up, and he doesn't go to Eli, the high priest. He goes to this boy, and he tells him, I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God, and he hasn't disciplined them. And so I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifice or offerings. Now, a few things I noticed in this story. Eli's eyes were growing dim, and he was sleeping. You know what I'm talking about? Spiritually, a lot of us, eyes are growing dim, and we're sleeping. Why? Because we ain't hearing from the Lord. It said the Lord hadn't spoken a long time. Why? Because we ain't listening. Because we're doing too much sleeping and our eyes are growing dim and our ears are growing dull. He was so unused to hearing from God that he, that he didn't hear from God. And when, he, when somebody else heard from God, he didn't recognize what was happening. And he was unable to point this young boy to God the first two times. Why? God had to call a boy instead of a man. God skipped the high priest who was put in office and called a boy instead. But it also says young Samuel didn't know the Lord. And why do you suppose that is? Here he is, an assistant to the high priest, living in the house of God right next to the ark of God. How can he not know the Lord? Because Eli was not training up the boy was not teaching him the things of God. What was, what was Eli ta- teaching the boy? He's the high priest. What could he have been teaching him besides to know God? It says all this happened just before the lights went out in the temple. You know, they would, if I remember correctly, I thought those lamps were still supposed to stay burning. Isn't that right, Tom? If I remember back in Leviticus and some of those books where it talked about the, the lampstand, I thought those were supposed to keep burning. But it says in this case that, that the light, lights were about to go out, but they ain't gone out yet. The Spirit of God seems to be waning in the house of God. Let's, let, let's never let it get like that in this house, all right? Where the lights are barely on in here. And in the next chapter, we're not going to go there, but it says the lights went out for good. Because the Philistines defeated Israel. And guess what happened? They killed both of Eli's sons in the process. And they took the ark of God. The Philistines. See, Eli's sons took the ark of God out there for good luck probably. They're thinking luck. They're not thinking blessing. They don't even know this God. But they're taking the ark of the covenant out there thinking it's going to give them victory. But what happened? The Philistines defeated them and took the Ark of the Covenant. We've got to learn to value the things of God, to keep, the, keep our lights burning, to keep our eyes open. And we've got to teach our children 
We don't want God to have to call the children and skip our generation. Because we've, we're not paying attention. Because our eyes have waxed old and our ears are dull. And we're sleeping on the job. We can be sitting right there next to the Ark of the Covenant, right here in the presence of God and not paying attention at all, just going through the motions. And Lord, help us all if we don't train those children up back there the way they should go. I should have I got somebody to, to sit back there with them tonight and brought all the teachers in here so they could hear this message. Last week, I told you all the story about me running to my dad. I hadn't seen him in a long time, and he had his arms wide open, you know. And he was showing him how fast I could run, and I was going to run into his wings. You remember the story? And he had his arms open, and when I got there, he moved, and I ran straight into the tree, <laughs> bloodied my nose. And he was, him and his friend was laughing because they had been drinking. And I know it sounds like a horrible story to tell on your dad, you know, and I tried to make excuses for him. He was in his early 20s and all, and, and you know, we do a lot of things when we don't know the Lord, stupid stuff. And we've got a lot of regrets. i got regrets. I've got some, a lot of regrets about things I did to my children when I didn't know any better. So what I wanted to say that for is because, uh, you know, maybe the first time God called my dad or called me or his children, my dad wasn't listening. You know, he'd let things grow cold. But I grew up, by the mercy of God, I found Jesus, you know, at a late age. Started serving the Lord. and Then my dad moved back to be around his grandchildren. He moved to Hernando here. And I want you to know, that second go-around, my dad was there for my grandchildren. He became Papa. I mean, my children adored him. My brother's children adored him. He took them hunting. He spent all kind of time with them. He invested in them. And, and then me and him made up. You know, we apologized to one another about things in the past. And he was a really good dad to me in the end. You can turn things around. You really can. But he never really got into the thing. He would go to church on Easter and Christmas, but just because his wife wanted to. He, he never seemed to really care about the things of God. But, you know, me and my brother, we was always hammering him, you know, trying to get him. But I don't think we had a big influence on him. You know what I think happened? I think it was our children that turned his heart. The Lord told me in a dream two weeks before he died, and, I had, and he died suddenly without warning. But two weeks before he died, the Lord told me that your dad will be saved before he died. But my children and my brother's children... We're always talking to him about the Lord. They were influencing him. And the reason why we, we've, well, other than my dream, the reason, indication that we had that he was saved is right during that time, one of our children said something along the lines of, uh, you see how those people do that, Papa? Why do they do that? Talking about some lost people doing something that lost people do. And my dad said, we don't do that because we believe in Jesus. And he, and he was identifying himself as a believer. And it was the children, really, that brought him to faith. You know, there's all different kind of scenarios. 
But the scenario is, if Jesus is in it, somebody's getting saved. The scenario is, is let's just all point each other to Jesus. Old people, young people, middle people, grandchildren, little children, babies, youth, adults. Let's just all make Jesus the center of our lives. Because it always works out. Now, you're, maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I don't have any children in my life. But like I said, we got children here that you could work with. And I, got a, I wrote down a few ways that you might help. You could uh, help send one of them to camp. You could invest your finances. And some of you have done that. There's, there was many children and many youth that went to camp this year and will be going to winter camp that had no money to pay for it, but are going because of the generosity of people in, in this congregation. You can spend time with them. Uh you know, I'm not talking about a lot of time. It, it could be kind of weird if you would spend too much time with somebody else's children. You know, But I'm just saying, when they come running through the sanctuary, get down on one knee at their level and say, what you got, buddy? Let me see that. You know, depending on their age, you know, you don't say it to a 12-year-old. But, you know, take an interest. You may not know it. I didn't know it. But you may have a heart to teach those children. And I'd be back there today if I could. What a blessing. If you're interested in working in a nursery or in the toddlers or in the kingdom kids, whatever age group you're interested in, we'll train you. We'll put you with the teacher. And we'll teach you how to do it. And before you know it, you'll be teaching them the word of God. You can be back there loving on them, whatever you want to do to invest into their lives. You can, uh, I, I guess I would call it sponsoring. Like, uh, what did you, Big Joe, this Sunday that had Alex with you? Who had See, Alex isn't his son, but, but Keith was working in the booth or something, and he sponsored Alex, and the people that work in guest services are letting these young men and young ladies help take up the offering and stuff. And Alex didn't, didn't have anybody working on guest services, and he wanted to do it, so Big Joe sponsored him to help him do something. Probably meant the world to him, I can tell you that. Take an interest some kind of way. We're starting a bus ministry if you'd like to be a bus driver. Uh... One thing you can always do is pray. I would like to see our church as being many fathers to our children, many mothers to our children. God was a father to the fatherless. We have some children that, you know, don't have a dad in the picture. And as we grow, we're going to have a whole lot of children. Once we get this bus ministry launched, we're going to, have, we're going to be busing them in for everywhere. We have a lot of children you don't recognize. And it's going to be time for us to step up as a church and show that we love the little children. We got Jumping Johnny. I mean, he's always got a package full of candy, doesn't he? Given to the... Johnny, you're not going to believe this. You'll be a bus driver too? You're not going to believe this. When I was growing up, I had my own Uncle Johnny. And uh, Yeah, y'all can come on in. I had my own Uncle Johnny. We're going to take communion together here in a bit, fellas, ladies. Make yourself at home. I'm closing right now. I can't stop talking. You know, you know me. I, had, I was telling him I had my own Uncle Johnny while I was growing up. Now, he was the last survivor of D-Day in, in Mississippi. He just passed away a couple of years ago. He was the lone surviving uh, person from Mississippi who had been part of the D-Day invasion in World War II. He had like two purple hearts. He was shot twice and everything. So he was a hero and stuff. And I didn't know any of this. 
As I was growing up, I had no idea he was even in the war. You'd have told me he was in the war, I'd have laughed. He wasn't about this tall little Italian guy, you know. And I thought, he didn't look like a warrior to me. I just knew him as Uncle Johnny. Well, we would, my parents would all meet, my grandparents would all meet on Friday and Saturday night, and they'd play Boo Ray. I don't know if y'all know what Boo Ray is. I don't, it's a card game of some sort. But they'd be slapping them quarters down, you know, and they'd play Boo Ray all Friday night and Saturday night. But I didn't, I didn't care what they was doing. All I wanted was the cousins to come over. And so the cousins would come over, and we would play outside and hide and seek, and it was the best time of my life, just running and playing on the farm life back back in those days while the grandparents were playing Boo-Ray. But somewhere during the night, Uncle Johnny, I don't know if it was when he lost all the money or won all the money, he'd lay his cards down, and he'd come walking in there where the kids was, and he'd do like that, and he'd always have a big wad of quarters in his pocket. He says, y'all ready to go to the store? Yay! Yay! And we would get in his car, and he would drive us down to the, uh, it was like a country store at the time. It wasn't a corner store. There was no corners in this little shawl, Mississippi. But it was a country store, and we'd go, and we'd get four or five pieces of candy. That I mean, to us back in those days, we didn't just eat candy like, you know, till we got sick of it like you guys get to these days. It was a rare treat to get some candy. And I'll never forget my Uncle Johnny. I didn't know he was a war hero. I didn't know anything else about him, but I knew he cared about the little children. And I appreciate you, Uncle Johnny, and I appreciate, and I, and I know that these children appreciate everybody in here that invests in them. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.